we're going trapping. I don't like trapping. It sounds like a sex thing. We're going trapping. Yeah. The boys are going trapping tonight. Beaver pelts. That's gross. <laughs> yeah, we're going pelt. You mean throw rocks at people? No, 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 no. Yeah. Are there beaver pelts in 1981's anthem? I don't think so. I, I don't know Toya Wilcox personally, so I can't ask her. I mean, I don't know. She might be on Instagram. We, we can figure it out. <laughs> Before we start the show proper, a little breaking news. Uh, from last week's poll, does 2021's self-titled album from Floris belong in the Trapo Essentials canon? Well, the results are in. You'll be happy to know that 2021's Florist has, in fact, won the poll and has officially been inducted in the Trapo Essentials canon. Thanks to everyone who voted, and enjoy the show whatever it doesn't matter we're talking about 1981's anthem from toya and this edition of good greater garbage we're bringing it back why are we reviewing an album from 1981 or why not whatever we won't yeah some of those old uh, wax cylinder recordings back in the day if we find a way to play those that shit's getting translated we're gonna get our hands on some pre-release recordings turns out it was just a birthday party and there's just people rambling but uh it was worth it you got a pony <laughs> but it wasn't the pony you wanted it was a sick pony somebody call a vet these pythons are sick <laughs> <laughs> this is a episode of Good Greater Garbage, so we got to explain that maybe real quick. Before we get to the matter at hand, I, I thought it would be nice to start a, a new thing here. Have we heard of any new music, watched a, a good movie, or read a book, or whatever? And maybe we could pass on these uh, little recommendations to you, dear listener. So I guess we should start out by saying, hey, Kai, is there anything you would like to uh, throw out? Any recommendations to the listeners? Uh, actually, I had a random album I came across the other day. It's called In February by Isaac or Isaac Curl, K-U-R-A-L. First name is I-S-I-K. There's not really vocals. It's, I don't know, I think there's some weird mouth noises, but it's mostly uh, instrument. It's pretty cool. I think you should check it out. Hold on. That's not the album that I was thinking it is. That's a good album, but that <laughs> album does have vocals. That's okay. the difference. So I don't want to sound like a total idiot. The next one, which is also cool on that playlist, is by an artist called Salamanda. And that's the one that has no vocals. Cool, trippy, weird, atmospheric album. And the album is called Ash Balcom. Balcom. Okay. But it's uh, it's pretty badass. And you should check it out. Do you have something you, you want to recommend to me and the, the dear listeners? I don't know. I just wrote a book called Barabbas by Par Lagerqvist. Been out for a long time. I never read it before. It's a book about Barabbas. I know you're thinking, who wants to read a book about Barabbas? And you know, I thought the same thing. I found it at a library book sale for a dollar. And I was like, you know, fuck it. It's a dollar. And I read... <laughs> like it's a dollar. It's like I said, it's been around for a long time. I mean, a long time. It was the basis for an adaptation, I think in 1961, a film adaptation starring Anthony Quinn as Barabbas. Oh. I've seen that movie. I've seen it on TCM. They show it around Easter. Just as a side note, I think they depict the crucifixion in the Barabbas movie. The moment Jesus dies, the sun goes into eclipse. And that wasn't faked. They really waited to film during a solar eclipse. So they only had one take to get it right it's the most amazing looking thing in the movie everything goes dark and an actual eclipse occurs it didn't occur to me watching the movie that this was actually real that's just never real but it was yeah. real you wouldn't think the story of barabbas may be particularly gripping this story it takes place completely from the point of view of barabbas after the crucifixion when he tries to make sense of his life and he's a man who doesn't believe but who claims that he wants to believe his life is one of misery and pain he's a violent man 
He's a bandit. He's a thief. He doesn't understand Jesus, basically. They say he's God or the son of God. He doesn't understand why people would worship a God that is nothing but love and understanding because all he's known in his life is pain. He literally doesn't understand love. And it's very sobering and it's very realized and, and, and heartfelt, but it's not sentimental. It's not saccharine. It feels very real from beginning to end and it doesn't compromise. It's not a religious story because Barabbas is not a religious man. And it's very interesting. I didn't expect the story to be that gripping. I really didn't. Hmm. I'm not saying a lot considering this book has been out since the 1950s. I, I'm pretty sure people know about it because it's been adapted at least twice. I think it got adapted into a TV movie starring Billy Zane, but I discovered it last week at a, at a library sale for a dollar and i thought it was great it's short you can probably read it in one sitting i did but it's well worth it because i i can imagine myself revisiting this book it's got a lot of layers to it it's a very humanist story brevis by par Lagerquist. find a copy read a copy if not then you know what it doesn't matter I'm not going to lose sleep over this because I'm going to be too busy listening to Anthem by Toya Wilcox. What? That's a segue, Kai. Toya Wilcox was born in 1958. I guess she was well-to-do. They had money growing up. So she wasn't poor, but she was short. She was kind of fat. She got bullied a lot. She had a lisp. So she, she didn't have a very good school life. People didn't like her. They thought she was weird. Spoiler alert, she was weird. And she made music. She was actually before she made the music, she was in movies. She was in Jubilee. I like Jubilee a lot. It's a lot of fun. But you know, she made music. She wanted to make music. That was her passion. I mean, like, let's, I'll be real with you right now. Between her first three albums, I think Anthem might be my least favorite, but Anthem is the first one I heard. So that's the one that got me. Because her first album is called Sheep Farming and Barnet. <laughs> right. I saw that. And then her second album was The Blue Meaning. I think The Blue Meaning might be her masterpiece as the band Toya. That might be it. But Anthem is the one I heard first. It's kind of like with me and uh, Nina Hagen, because Nina Hagen and Ecstasy was the first one I heard. So that's the one that I have the strongest emotional connection to. But even I can recognize that none sex monk rock is her best album. But that's not the one that's in my heart for, for whatever reason. That's not the one I wanted to talk about. I wanted to talk about Anthem, which is an album that was released in May of 1981. Its first official single was I Want to Be Free. Which reached uh, number eight on the UK singles chart. And uh, the album itself peaked at number two in the UK, was certified gold. That means it sold 100,000 copies, I believe, right? I mean, 100,000 copies, I think it, it sold more than that in the intervening years. It's the band's most successful album, and it's also Toya Wilcox's most successful album. 1981, that's right in the middle of this movement. Kate Bush was emerging at the time. Susie and the Banshees was coming out. I mean, Lenny Lovitch was coming out. It was This was the new wave, man. And they were all riding this new wave. If an artist like Toya Wilcox Cox came out now making music like this, they wouldn't be selling 100,000 copies and hitting number two on the UK album charts. Anthem would not be making that kind of splash. They'd have a, a healthy band camp page. They'd have a, a good social media account. 
but they wouldn't be a sensation. It wouldn't happen now. There was something so strange about that specific era when artists could come out and make music about the weirdest shit, and then it hits, and people love it. Jethro Tull style. How the fuck did Devo become a hit? They did. They were a big deal. They were on Saturday Night Live. People loved them. Elvis Costello became a beloved fixture of the rock and roll scene based on his original New Wave outings. It was a weird era and it can't really be replicated. As much as I would like some of these new artists to be embraced by the mainstream the way these artists were, it really can't happen. It's all fragmented. It's not the same, so man. Yeah. It's just not it's, the same. Yeah, the not... overexposure infinite amount of sounds available yeah that's definitely part of it honestly everyone has everything at their fingertips now you didn't have the internet so it was just you read the newspapers you read the magazines this is the music that's out now you buy the album the fucking vinyl record then you listen to it again because you spent enough money on it and you don't have enough money to buy another one right now so you just keep fucking listening to it and then said or you listen to the radio and the radio shows you something well that's really cool i'm gonna buy the album it was a completely different world i think a lot of people that have grown up in the internet age don't understand that. Wait, I can listen to anything I want right now. You couldn't back then. You literally couldn't. So when something new and weird comes along, it may be embraced to a larger degree by the mainstream. Something comes along and makes a big splash and it sticks around for a while because there's not a lot of competition. But now you have competition not just from more music, but from literally everything else. It's just cacophony. It's just drowning out everything until it becomes this like hum, this background hum that's a part of your everyday life. It didn't happen back then. I'm not saying it was a better time. I'm just saying it was a different time. And during that different time, music like Anthem could actually find mainstream appeal, which is weird because if you listen to the music, a whole bunch of people bought it. It basically made Toya Wilcox's career she was doing okay before but it's a mystery that was the biggest single from the album She didn't like the song. She didn't have a lot to do with the writing of it. And she felt it was too, not necessarily mainstream, but she wasn't a fan of it. She called it very feminine, girly, and normal. But she was perfectly fine with the song existing as a single. It brought in a whole bunch of new fans. It made her a lot of money. And it got more people interested in her music. Sure, it's not her favorite song, but she plays the game. She wanted to make a career out of music. She didn't just want to be one of those people who toils in obscurity for the rest of their lives doesn't make a living at it no she wanted music to be her career and she understands if you want to make a single a single has to appeal to a broader audience you can't just cater to your fans if you want it to hit she calculated she didn't compromise herself she just calculated her singles were a little more mainstream it actually worked out in her favor it really did it did exactly what she wanted it to do and you can't fault her for that you want to make a living in the industry you have to find some kind of middle ground you can give the people what they want but you don't have to destroy your credibility that's what she was trying to do with It's a Mystery in particular, because she considered the true Toya music to be in the album itself. You get the masses in with It's a Mystery, and then they end up listening to Jungles of Jupiter and Demolition Men, 
what have I signed on for? They don't know. You tricked them. And now they're fans. <laughs> Maybe. I think for a lot of them, yes. It paid off. So I can't argue with the logic there. I'm a big fan of Anthem. There's a raw quality to her older music that just isn't in anything she started. She made after like 1988. But I mean, the album itself pretty well structured it starts out with i want to be free and I, I love that the first words you hear i just love it that's how it starts yeah. she says i'm bored well you consider the title of the album anthem i want to be free is the perfect way to start it's an anthem it's an ode to freedom and individuality you can't go wrong with that in terms of your mission statement inspired by her life at school because when she was at school she just hated it it was stifling and boring she had a learning disability i think she had dyslexia i'm not quite sure the song is sung from the viewpoint of a frustrated individual and they want to be heard and accepted for who they are you want to talk about a positive viewpoint for a song these days they do this shit all the time she was doing it back then it's been around you can draw direct parallels from i want to be free to a lot of this music that's out these days yeah i did get that from the first couple songs on this album this came out in 81 then it came out before this that sounded like it and that that sounded like it and that that kind of sounded like it and oh shit kind of cool synth guitar the new wave sound but yeah i was thinking about that same thing before a lot of that shit had come out she was a lot more influential than i think a lot of people have ever given her credit I mean, a lot of the music of the era she helped form it it's one of those things that probably maybe only the people who listen to or at least maybe the only people who still remember some music like this are the, the artists who were influenced by it the following years and they're all old now too <laughs> they're not spring chickens either kai even the even half of them have probably forgot about this album oh yeah right i did rip that album off didn't i wow yeah that's where we got that groovy sound that was it. Well, in terms of like what my favorite tracks are i mean i like i want to be free i like pop star a lot pop star is almost deconstructing the myth of a pop star i mean first off that verse she says oh, fuck that means but i love it, it. what is cool, it yeah. what does it mean but it sounds awesome toya's voice is great in the song first off it kind of soars and then it goes mechanical she's going through this entire gamut in terms of her vocal range she's trying everything she can in this one song she didn't have to do that she could have just toned down a little bit it would have worked fine but she was like no i'm gonna do this fuck it okay whatever i can talk like a robot for 30 seconds whatever it doesn't matter do you but i like the idea of the song it deconstructs the idea of the pop star as manufactured but also exotic the pop star wants your money and your attention you hear this alluring voice on the radio the reality of it is it's just a commercial entity buy my albums buy my singles pop star makes it sound so alluring and alien what's so exotic and strange but the fact of the matter is it's just somebody in the studio just trying to fleece you of your money it's a very cynical song i am the child you need to be i receive your intentions with instinctive greed yeah that's it some pretty cool lines in there. I was lost in the melodies a lot. And it's like that with a lot of the music she makes, not just with Anthem, but overall. It was all about experimentation. I think elocution lessons is a big part of that, too. Listening to her music, I never heard it. She had a pronounced lisp. 
when she was growing up, people would bring it up in interviews. Because you have to remember, when Anthem came out, she was 22 years old. She was still trying to figure out herself as a human being. And she was doing interviews with a lot of music journalists. They would talk to her about her lisp. And one music journalist actually gave her a nickname. They called her the Lisping Ferret. And he thought this was perfectly fine just to call her that. And what is she supposed to do as a 22-year-old trying to make it in the music industry? Of course, she like laughs it off. Like, it's no big deal, right? That really bugs me. You can't blow up during an interview when someone calls you that when you're like a 22-year-old woman trying to make music and try to make a career as a musician because you'd be labeled as difficult. She was not a very good interview because she challenged me too much. These days, if someone called Taylor Swift a lisping ferret in an interview, how well do you think that would go over? Right. Back then, you just had to accept it. They're going to say a bunch of weird shit about your music and about yourself. And if you don't accept it, you could damage your career. That's fucked up. But that's one of the reasons why elocution lesson really stuck out for me. But when you learn about her as a person, like she took elocution lessons when she was a kid in school. She was forced to. And I guess these lessons were really damaging to her psyche because the teacher was just a complete monster. At one point, she would bring in her tape recorder and have her literally record Toya saying random phrases with her lisp. And the next time she came in, she would force her to listen to her own recordings, basically to try to shame her into not having a lisp. Yeah, yep. that's what it sounds like. And all it did was like fuck her up and make her cry. I was gonna say, Paul's that's gonna do is fuck you up. In that context, if you listen to Elocution Lesson, you hear so much aggression and anger in it. That's like real autobiographical shit. I just think that's very funny. It was just as naked as a beast. Just there was so- some ridiculous funny shit too. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think my favorite song, if I had to pick one, would be I Am. I just think the idea of the song itself, she sings of her person as this vast tapestry. It's not just one thing. She is all of these different things put together. My nose is sharp and cuts the glass and then I escape. My back is flat off the beaten track and then at the end of the song she kind of contracts and becomes this fragile human being again my eyes are shadow my ears hollow i am only me my feet are still and unfulfilled i'm only me my head's a bed it feels like lead my mind is totally free i'm asleep i am i'm asleep this weird juxtaposition of the endless imagination you bump that up with the weakness of the flesh this is what i can be versus this is what i am i don't know i think it implies freedom and dreams but i don't know it could be anything else who the fuck knows what it really means that's what it sounds like to me i just think it's interesting of course demolition men i don't even know what the fuck's going on there so it's a weird shit but it's fun calcium deposits grow at the base of a concrete monument evolution gives it a brain Mother Nature takes her revenge and runs amok with the demolition men or the insane. Fuck it, why not? I don't care. I'm there.
You win. It's aggressive kind of pulp sci-fi. You got monsters and fucking mutants living in a labyrinth underground. There's lasers. And you get this weird Cronenberg body horror thing going on. We grow protrusions that we can fly and fight in. We grow <laughs> guns with bullets in. They grow guns. Loaded. Yeah, they have bullets. Who, who, who comes up with that? I think it's an interesting album overall there's one thing i wanted to mention because i just i feel like i had to honestly if you look it up there's not a lot of uh press on anthem for some reason it's yeah, just it I, just doesn't I, exist the fa- never just did. the fact that you were you were talking about it making gold status like i don't even remember seeing that just doing a cursory scan i was like i just found the album <laughs> I first heard Anthem, it was right after I found that copy of Nina Hagen in Ecstasy at the used bookstore. 2005, maybe. The internet existed at the time, and I tried to look it up. Oh, this is really interesting music. What is this? I couldn't find jack shit. And this is literally her biggest selling album. This is it. Even now, I found plenty of reviews, both old and new, a lot of her other music. Specifically on Anthem, her biggest selling album? It's hard to find anything. It's very frustrating. Uh, This is something I found literally like two or three days ago i found an archived interview with toya wilcox it was published around the time anthem was released this really for some reason got under my skin the interviewer took her to task for not writing any conventional what he would call love songs thus far in her career she would explain that she had no real desire to explore that part of the human experience with her music she said that she tried to write a love song in the past she called it just boring pap with no natural adrenaline in the lyrics the interviewer wouldn't let this go at least not in the text because he called it a shame. He said this would only reinforce a view among her critics that she was... I guess like a sexless weirdo. She had this preference to indulge her childish impulses, writing this weird disposable science fiction shit that she was doing. He was trying to be as nice as possible, saying, oh no, she has the talent to make real music, but why does she continue to waste her gifts? She squanders her gifts writing this garbage. Because there's no love songs? Yeah, because there's no, right. Toya said she hated watching people kiss in movies because it felt like she was watching somebody else's private moment, and that made her uncomfortable. Keep in mind, once again, this is a 22 year old woman who at that time made a deliberate effort to desexualize herself she was not interested in exploring sex she'd lived most of her life an overweight short girl with a lisp that no one liked that kind of fucked her up and as she became an adult sex wasn't a part of her experience i mean she had sex but it wasn't something she wanted to explore in her music She deliberately chose not to present herself as a sex symbol. If you ever see images of her of the era, she dressed androgynously. Deliberately, she desexualized herself. She toned down her femininity for years because she was still trying to figure out who the hell she was as a person. She avoided sex as a subject in her music because that wasn't something she wanted to explore in a public forum. People were not out there at the time criticizing her male contemporaries that they weren't writing these sweet love songs. No one was complaining that David Bowie didn't write a love song in The Lodger. They weren't doing it. Toya Wilcox comes along and makes an album. She writes a song called Jungles of Jupiter about crying androids or whatever. You're like, oh, that's fucking stupid. Why don't you write a song about falling in love? She wanted to write big-ass weird songs about life on other planets and monsters and crazy people, you know? But she did. She did. But the thing is, so much of her past, her personality, and her life is on display in that music that she wrote. It's clearly there. That frustration, that fear, and that anger 
anger. It's all there. She didn't want to write a fucking love song because she had something else on her mind. You want to discount the music she's making because it doesn't fit into your mold? That's fucking pathetic. There's a lot going on in Anthem. He didn't a... even want to talk to her about it. Right. And he probably didn't even listen to it. It was completely dismissive about it. Whatever. She's like a little kid. She doesn't understand. Here's what you did wrong, kid. Look, if you want to say the music doesn't work for you, that's perfectly fine. But if you want to denigrate it because the artist didn't make what you wanted them to make, that's insane. She didn't want to write her fucking love song. If you wanted her to write a love song, all you had to do was wait. She fell in love with Robert Fripp from King Crimson. They got married in 1986. She calls him, to this day, her soulmate. They are very much in love. As of this date, she's written plenty of love songs. She's written and performed a lot of love songs in her life. And she's also written a lot of what you call the more overtly personal music. Prostitute is basically her high watermark as an artist as far as the world is concerned. It's a beautiful album. She wrote and performed a lot of love songs when she was ready. When she was prepared as a human being to write a love song, she did. Anthem isn't what these people wanted it to be. It's a deliberately weird fucking album from a deliberately weird fucking person. I think the idea that people can complain about it because it's not what they wanted it to be is fucking ludicrous just go find something you like leave this the fuck alone don't try to say that toya is a lesser artist because she's not doing what you want her to do that's all i get a little upset about that got my blood pumping because it felt like a complete asshole move you don't do that to somebody. That's it. That's all I got. I was like, look, there's love in Anthem. If you explore the lyrics, there is love in there. It's not romantic love, but there is love in there. She just wasn't ready to discuss romantic love at the time. So, you know, whatever. It is what it is. And Anthem is what it is. And that's all I have to say about it. Here's the thing. I have such extremely extensive notes on this album. I just scratched the surface. So that was the tip of the iceberg, Kai. Because for me... Apparently you went deep on Anthem. No, Anthem is one of those pillars for me. It's like Nina Hagen in Ecstasy. It's it's right up there with me because it's one of those pillars that helped me at the time really explore more music. That was one of those uh, formative albums for me as a listener. I listened to it and I thought it was good. Moving on. No, like I said, there was definitely some cool kind of early new wave work going on that other people just hadn't done yet and some of her funny random lyrics the shit that caught me off (laughs) caught me off guard made me laugh so uh i'm guessing that you have an opinion on whether this album is good great or garbage the blue meeting might be a better album in terms of uh, toya's work as a band but there's just something so weird and compelling about anthem overall it's always been number one for whatever reason i don't know why it's such interesting music whatever it is she's fucking talking about it's definitely interesting all of this weird shit she's singing about she cares about it it's not disposable to her that's the thing i like about the album it's all about the imagination and how far it can take you there's so many weird flights of fancy in anthem it's great i think anthem's great i listened to this album a couple times i thought it was pretty good but i i do not have the emotional connection that you do with it so of course not if you're not in the right mood you could maybe be like "Eh, this shit's dumb turn it off when i was in the right space i was like okay this is fine it's pretty cool. The aggregate score would therefore be very good. Are we going to let people vote on this one? Well, I mean, if you don't want to put it in the canon, then people will vote on it because I would like the opportunity for it to be put in the canon. I think it'd be an interesting experiment just to see if we could get the like eight people to listen to this shit oh, from the 80s. God. You know what I mean? They're not even going to listen to this. This is fucked. I'm fucked. Oh my I God, mean... I'm fucking screwed. So you, you think it's great and I think it's 
pretty good. That leads kind of leads me to a question. I'm on the fence. I think we should let the listeners decide and uh, vote on whether Anthem by Toya from 1981 should be in the Trapo Essentials canon. Visit the official Trapo blog. It's T-R-A-P-P-O show blogspot.com go to the toya anthem episode post there will be a poll at the bottom of that post i want you to vote first off listen to the album and then vote and if you want it in the canon vote yes if you don't want it vote no i mean i shouldn't have to explain yes and no to you people you should know that yeah. part. leave us a comment below there uh telling us how you felt about it after you listen to the album the poll will be open for one week so if you're listening to this and it's been like two or three weeks or six months or a year or whatever since this came out don't worry about voting but you can still check the blog and find the results absolutely so we have a blog yeah i guess that's the end of the episode by the way we're done all that's left to say since we don't have a definitive conclusion as of yet is we would like you to join the conversation indeed you know how you do it kai you know how you do it i really like it when people go to trapo show at blogspot wait <laughs> Yeah, I always yeah. I always fuck it up one way or another. Traposhow.blogspot.com. Find the post of your choosing. Leave us a comment. Leave us multiple comments. I don't know. Tell us what you think about the episode, the music, the movie, whatever it is. Tell us what you thought about Anthem and why Kai is wrong. Why are you wrong, Kai? How come you're wrong? Explain it to me. Or tell me why you agree with me. We also have an email address, Kai. Well, I mean, I know the, the blog is fine. The blog is good. But we got an email address. And people should use it. I know they never do. Hope springs eternal, Kai. And my hope is that people will send an email to traposhow at gmail.com. Thank you so much. We're done talking about Anthem. My hopes have been dashed momentarily, but I'm hoping that five people who listen to this episode will actually vote. Get Toya's Anthem in the Trapo Essentials kid where it belongs. It's up to you people to make the right decision. But until then, until those greater days come, until the, the sun shines again on the world of man, Dear listeners, I want you very much from the bottom of my heart to get the fuck off the internet. Trapo, the show that talks about stuff on purpose, is a Fenderman Incorporated production.